Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more.
Hi, friends. Welcome to the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is a quick hit for August 6th, 2017, the final night, night 13 of the Baker's Dozen at Madison Square Garden. Uh, this is Matt here, and we have our own Jonathan on the line who was at the show last night. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Good, good, good. And uh, we also have RJ on as well, who's also remote, and RJ and I watch from the couch while, uh, as I said, Jonathan was there in person. Hey, RJ. Hey, guys. All right. So, um... Last night of the dozen. So I don't know uh, if you guys feel the same way as me. Um, slightly strange emotional state today after the celebration of last night, but also kind of the um, the come down from everything ending. Um, I, as I have been this for the past eighteen days, I kept compulsively checking for the flavor uh, today and kind of realized, oh yeah, there's no show anymore. Uh, we've got a couple weeks till dicks, but let's not be all gloom and doom about it because there was an amazing show last night. Um, so, uh, Jonathan, maybe you can just kind of start by giving us your, uh, overall impression before we dive into uh, a little bit more detail on the sets. Yeah. I was um, a little surprised to hear there's no show, uh, tried to get a night 14 ticket on the way out last night. Somebody asked for <laughs> 300 for it. And I thought that sounded pretty fair, but my wife wanted me home, so I didn't go in on it. Um, yeah, it was, it was a good show, uh, Great jams and obviously some strong emotional content there on the end, not just because of the end of the run or tour, what have you, which is was kind of normal in some respects, but it was also the closing of something very special, the raising of the banner, you know, hearing and seeing the band get kind of emotional on the encore. Um, was It was great. We were all... I say we were all in it together. I think certainly the folks who did all 13 were probably in the same place, but further, deeper in than than I was. Um, and uh, I, I imagine it's been quite a journey for all of them, and uh, just as it has been for the band. And, and it has been for us following along at home uh, part-time or, or all the time for uh, you know those of us who haven't been able to get there at all. Well, Jonathan, it's interesting. One thing that's really interesting to me, I was talking with uh, my wife Rachel about it last night, is that I think going into this, there was not the impression that this was going to be like a sequential um, 13 night conversation, I guess. Um, or at least that's not how I or a lot of my friends saw it. It was sort of like, are you going to do the first weekend, the second weekend, or the third weekend? And then we, we were kind of seeing it as like different, just, you know, groups of shows. And it's just so interesting how it ended up like we did the second weekend and you did the third weekend and you were able to come part of the second weekend. But that, at the time, it was just sort of schedules and thinking about, you know, what worked best. I guess a lot of people probably thought being there the last weekend would be great. But I don't think or maybe it was just me, but I don't think a lot of people saw it as like this build up that was going to be like what you described, Jonathan, as a 13 day festival, which um, would just ticket wise and, and expectation and demand wise. It just didn't seem to um, to develop that way leading up to the run, and it kind of started right right when the run started. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but that's sort of something I was thinking last night. Yeah, I was thinking um, <clears throat> something very similar because uh, you know, in terms of planning and stuff, it was it kind of was just <clears throat> like a regular tour where it was like, here's the weekend that I can go. Here's when they're coming close to me, or when it's you know feasible to go um, and see them. Because I even did what I typically do for tours and I said, okay, well let's start looking at the end of the tour. Cause that's going to be when they're the hottest and was originally planning on going this last weekend, but uh, had some stuff uh, come up and went last weekend instead. Um, but I think it was pretty 
apparent within the first kind of three or four nights there that no this was going to feel like one long drawn out event with the the festival vibe and everybody kind of coming in and out at at different places um especially given the fact that we could all you know follow along every single night from from home um was it i guess with that i mean being in the room last night uh jonathan i mean did was there kind of a feeling of completion uh, among the among the people there oh yeah it was definitely a thing coming to an end I mean, right down to the uh, concessions being out of the special cups and all the T-shirts being down to triple X sizes only. You know, it was uh, a long course had been walked. And we were we were coming over the hill to the finish line. Uh, it was it was pretty cool, momentous for some, uh, absolutely. And you could really you could feel it in the air. Everybody was ready and primed for you know a thing to happen whatever that thing may be. Yeah. And I guess just to, to kind of wrap up about the, the show in general, did you guys have any expectations going into last night that there would be anything kind of special done? I know there was people talking about maybe three sets or, a, you know, a surprise cover album or something like that, or did you just think it was going to be a regular show? There were all sorts of rumors, but no expectations. It's the best rule. Yeah, I was, I was hoping that, they would just kind of like maybe do a little bit of something special at the end, which I think happened, but um, I was so tired. I was like, oh no, a third set. I don't know if I can make it. But um, the, the the worst rumor I saw of all the rumors was that they were going <laughs> to announce their retirement um, at the end. And that's why they were going to, you know, that's why they were streaming it on Sirius or something, which is just a hilarious, you know, how how these kind of rumors get started. news bullshit. Yeah. I, I heard that too. And that's just, you know, it almost, almost makes me angry. Yeah. But, not surprising that somebody somebody went there oh well <laughs> they're wrong so far you know what I, i'll be honest with you guys i actually was kind of afraid of that um and i think if they didn't have the dicks shows scheduled i would have been even more worried about it mm-hmm. um because it did feel like uh there's this huge sense of accomplishment and kind of like where do we go from here and they were you know very emotional by the end uh, last night, but you know, obviously that that didn't happen. But th- I will admit, I was one of those people that it kind of crossed my mind. Like maybe they're just going to say, like, this is it. We can't do anything else. But glad they didn't. Obviously. So, in any event, um, before we uh, dive into a little bit more detail, um, why don't we go to a conversation that RJ had with uh, Chris Pandolfi, banjo player for the infamous String Dusters, uh, who was in attendance last night. So let's check that out. Hey everyone, I'm here with Chris Pandolfi, who you all have heard on the podcast before, who uh, was nice enough to drop in and, and talk to us about last night. How's it going, man? Going great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you, you've you had a whirlwind weekend. Um, we were just talking before we started recording. You were part of the, the Friday uh, Jerry Garcia tribute in, in Red Rocks. Um, can you tell everyone a little bit about that, those people who, who weren't listening or haven't heard it? Yeah, that was quite a cool show um obviously they were doing like jerry 75th birthday celebration at a bunch of different venues around the country but red rocks was sort of the big one and it was three sets the first one um that i was a part of um was with the jerry garcia acoustic band guys sandy rothman and kenny kosek and sandy especially goes way back with jerry i believe he 
um, made sort of a cross country pilgrimage with Jerry pre Grateful Dead early sixties where they were going to bluegrass festivals. So, um, we played with those guys and we, we started the night and then it was Melvin Seals and the JGB team. And then the last set of the night was, um, mostly Grateful Dead centric with Bob Weir leading the charge and John Mayer showed up. So all in all, it was quite an awesome night. I mean, any chance you get to play up there at Red Rocks was great, but to be a part of this night and, and you know, people often ask me like, what are the highlights of these recent years um, where things have really picked up for the dusters. And I always say that, you know, getting to be around the Grateful Dead um, yeah. and the Grateful Dead family is just such a, uh, it's just such an honor. And um, it's always kind of awe inspiring just when you consider the immense effect, uh, you know, and influence that they've had on the scene that we're a part of and that so many fans, you know, that are our contemporaries are a part of. So it was, it was awesome. So we initially, we had tickets for Friday night, but obviously had to um, change plans to be out there for that show, but flew in Saturday morning to catch the last two shows of Baker's dozen. And I'm, I'm sure glad that we did because it was quite an awesome time at the garden. Yeah, man. So let, we'll get into those shows a little bit. I, I will say that um, if if people haven't seen the String Dusters at all or lately, um, you'll get a chance to catch them. You guys are all over the place in the next um, next couple months from Colorado, some Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, North Carolina, then back out to the West Coast. Um, you're hitting yep. Tennessee, Georgia, back to North Carolina, and then the Festi, um, October 5th through 8th. We just got our tickets yesterday. I think this will be our fifth or sixth festi um is that possible what year is this a festi yeah no it's eighth okay year so, yeah up here i mean amazing weekend if people are um interested check it out um, and the string dusters are phenomenal um you guys are doing some denver shows late october so you're you're really almost touching every point of the country in the next several months yeah we're continuing on with our sort of festival um, schedule where we're doing a lot of weekends and traveling kind of far and wide and then festy and then we do you know a proper tour in November where we're traveling with the whole team and and um, you know that's mostly starting in like Kansas City and then come to um, New York for Friday night at Irving Plaza um, and then down to Strings and Soul in Mexico and just a yeah. few more shows to close out what's what's been a great year for the dusters yeah and you guys are um man so much fun looking forward to seeing you guys um and everyone should check out the dusters if you haven't already but um let's let's talk a little bit about your your nights at the garden i know we're kind of focusing on the last night night 13 but how was um how was saturday night for you it was awesome i mean we we came in you know having streamed a few of the shows and um, there was just such a, such, such an intense anticipation. And, um, I think that, you know, people 13 nights at the garden in the middle of the summer in New York city, you know, it, it, it was a little bit of a kind of head scratcher, I think for me and some of my friends when they announced it, but it turned out to be just this, the perfect thing to kind of showcase what fish is all about in so many ways. And I think that, as the shows, you know, as they create this one event, you know, 13 sort of contiguous shows at the garden, um, you know, it, 
it just built so much as the thing went on and the anticipation. And when we rolled, by the time we rolled in on Saturday, I mean, it was just so full on. You could feel it, you know, the minute you got out of the train at Penn station and, um, the show was awesome on Saturday night. Um, the first set was, was, was more songs and a, a little all over the place, but the second set, um, you know, they came out with a big ghost that everyone I think sort of knew was coming and, yeah. and then played, you know, they all they had the lizards in there and they played a couple, you know, I love the, the horse silent in the morning. And I mean, all in all, it was a great show and the energy was, was just kind of kept building and building. But for me last night was last night, especially set two last night was, uh, you know, from what I'd been hearing from the previous shows that, that I just got that thing that I was hoping to get, you know, I mean, I really enjoyed it all, but, um, I thought last night for me, it was the highlight. Yeah. And the, the simple kind of multiple peaks, um, in that, in that tune and, the I mean, the, you enjoy myself, both of those we knew were coming and you, you kind of flew in at a great, at a great time for seeing some of those. Yeah. I mean, and and it's funny that, that exactly the thing you mentioned about simple, you know, the, um, you know, sometimes I think, you know, people judge things, um, just merely based on the length, you know, and, and yeah. how, how out there did it get and how deep did they dig in? But, you know, as a fan and even, especially as a musician too, sometimes that is a little bit of a novelty looking at it that way to me you know, it's not always longer is better. And I think that there were those rare times when you, when you hear that thing that they did in simple where, you know, you knew they were going to go big. Cause especially that was earlier in the tour. I think it was in Chicago. They had that one yeah. epic simple yeah. that everybody, everybody was talking about. And so the bar was kind of set high, but when they do that, when they pull back and then they go into a second phase, that to me is a sign that the band is really firing on all cylinders. And, um, you know, cause there's, I mean, it's just, it's hard to describe again, as a musician, you know, you get a little bit of a different perspective, but the patience and the kind of trust that it takes. And I think we've all seen in the past with fish that, you know, you can kind of tell sometimes when things aren't as dialed in, when Trey pulls the plug or they're not necessarily all, comfortable going mm-hmm. somewhere and then the opposite is true as well and then when you get the when you get that next level of patience where they pull it back and they build it all back up again i mean that to me is just a sign that that you know it's four minds really working in unison and everybody is just tuned in and perfectly comfortable with letting letting the thing go wherever it needs to go and i just remember that was a, such a highlight for me because you knew they were going to play that song and then here it comes. And then I thought it was ending and then it wasn't. And I just knew sort of that it was really <clears throat> on then. And that, you know, that kicked off that second set, which was just so incredible. And, and, you know, it was the best you enjoy myself that I had ever heard. And it, yeah. it just like, it was amazing. The anticipation and then they, and then they just delivered on, in, on so many fronts and, and yeah, I mean, those songs, I think I looked, they were in the, the 25 minute range, both mm-hmm. of them. But, um, to me, they were just great examples of, 
you know, fish doing fish really well. And the crowd just so tuned in, you know, that paired with the anticipation of this, this whole event, which has turned out to be, um, such a cool thing for the band. Uh, that was a real culmination of all that last night set too. Yeah. And, the the encore, I mean, I'd love to hear your take on just the, you know, the way they reacted to that, the banner and, the and all that, but also just what they must be feeling just from a musician's perspective after having pulled off a feat like that. I mean, they're obviously emotional, but can you talk a little bit about your perspective on that? Like, what does it take as a musician to, to do something like that? Well, it's, yeah, it's funny because when we were going into the show, I heard a lot of people saying that, you know, there were rumors that they were going to maybe play a third set or that they had already paid the exorbitant, you know, curfew fee to play late. And I sort of suspected that that wasn't necessarily the case but again you know i'm not to me it's it's quality over over quantity um and i just you know after 13 nights with only a few nights off um you know going out with a bang is not synonymous just with playing on and on and on and i think you know and they didn't and they didn't play that late they were off stage you know pre-encore like a few minutes after 11 o'clock yeah. But then they came out and they, then the applause was just like overwhelming. And then they came out and they raised the banner and man, you could just, you could just feel it in so many ways, just looking around and, and seeing, you know, what, what this band like does for people and what it means for people was so palpable in that moment. And then they came out and they played on the road again, which um, was, I think, symbolic in a lot of ways just i think sort of their way of saying like we we're back beyond compare you know we're we're on the road again you know making music the life i love is making music with my friends and it was and it's also just such an uplifting song you know the eternally feel good vibes of willie nelson and all of that just kind of came through <laughs> and then they did their little lawn boy tease which you know that that epic lawn boy i think that was the jam filled night yeah um and everyone knew everyone knew the tweezer reprise was coming but the lawn boy thing was you know i i think interestingly that in the first set last night they played that song most events aren't planned yeah yeah and the page song i guess from from one of his vita blue records maybe but um that was you know i think a lot of people including myself didn't didn't know what it was as they launched into it. But um, we listened to that jam filled show, which was like, so I thought one of the best of the run. And ironically, it was like, everyone was sort of wondering, you know, will they do the thing that, that everyone's expecting them to do? And they did, they sort of came out and they said, you know, yes, we can throw down on just about any song at just about any time. And, I, you saw that theme sort of repeat itself as the run went on. And then they, that was to me, you know, they, that most events aren't planned and they just took it deep. Like it was, and again, it wasn't the, wasn't the longest jam in the world, but it was, it was just, just that journey, you know, that, that, that journey where, you know, uh, they're all heading out there into the space together and, and, and feeling it and not afraid to, to see where it goes. And, it's great because you, you can get that on just about any tune and, and, you know, it doesn't matter as much what, what the song is, you know, that moment is, is often very similar um, 
just like I say, of the journey. So I was, I was glad to get that. I wanted to hear them, you know, stretch out on some, some things that were a little bit less predictable and see what happened. And, um, you know, first set also had classics as well, you know, rift and, um, bouncing around the room. A lot of people were really fired up to hear them play Isabella, which I guess they had played since the nineties. So there was all of that going on. And then you had, you know, this, this version of the band that we all want all the time that they just have so consistently been finding throughout this run. And that was all in the first set. Um, but you know, the, the encore, it was cool that the hearkening back to lawn boy. And it just gave you a sense that the band was in touch with like some of the interpretations of the music that their Mm -hmm. fans were making Mm -hmm. along the way. Um, and just that they, that they got it and they seemed, you know, next level grateful when the whole thing wrapped up and just the applause, the whole feeling in there was really, was really palpable. It was great. And I mean, they must be, it must just be exhausting, even though they had those days off in between, they're clearly learning new songs and and preparing and, and rehearsing a lot. Um, I mean, do you think they're just completely exhausted walking off stage last night? Oh, I guarantee it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guarantee it, but, but, you know, they, they also, I think that the energy in there just built as the thing went on. Mm -hmm. It really did. Uh, And I mean, I I think, you know, there was a lot of evidence of that last night. It was impossible to get a ticket. You know, I mean, I, I had a a handful of friends who, you know, and and you always hear the sort of classic thing, you know, I've, look, I've never been to a fish show and, and not gotten in, you know, it always sort of works out one way or another, but the demand for these shows was, was next level. And, you know, you came out of the, out of the train and it's just like, it seemed like more people were looking for a ticket than not, you know? And so, yeah. Um, yeah. as the whole thing went on, I think the crowd, you know, as they always do, um, they, they fuel the band and the energy in there. But, you know, unlike a lot of tours where they move to a new, new city and sort of the energy resets, this was a very cumulative thing, especially with the anticipation and the set list. And you, you know, you sort of knew what was coming and then it comes and it's, you know, better than you could have even expected. So I'm sure they're, they're beat. But again, I think that, um, you know, the general consensus is that, this whole thing, not only was it a a success just in the moment, but in the bigger picture of who this band is and what, what it's all about. It was, it was just the perfect way for them to kind of showcase what makes them so amazing. And, uh, you know, in, in so many ways, their, their fan base and the sustained interest and the, the, the creativity that they bring to the show and just the amount of stuff that they're, busting out and and the other the, the work that they put into it on the night saturday night they did the boston cream thing yeah and i thought of of all the of all the um you know theme night sort of cover bits that was by far the slickest and they had it so down and rehearsed to the letter and they pulled it off and it flowed great in the set and so i mean all of those things working together essentially to pull off a thing that no other band could do, you know, that, that's yeah. just, like I say, that's why it sort of showcases what's so 
what's so cool about them in so many ways. And then again, like I just thought it was so cool when they came out with that on the road again. And it was, it was almost like their way of saying, you know, we just wrapped up the biggest feat in fish history perhaps, but we're not, we're not going anywhere. This is kind of like, you know, this, this, this train is rolling and it's not going to stop, which obviously makes all of us fans quite happy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know you're um, you're on your way uh, to to the airport to fly back out for some gigs this weekend, right? For the String Dusters. So we appreciate you stopping in and and sharing your perspective. I'm I'm so ex- happy that you got to tr- drop in on those shows for a couple nights. For sure, man. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. And um, you know, I, we'll see you guys at Festy if not before, and hopefully we'll get to. Uh, we're unfortunately we're not going to get to go to Dick's this year because the Dusters are playing shows that weekend but we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to team up out there one of these years yes for sure. absolutely um, well thank you chris for joining us it's always a pleasure to, to catch up awesome for sure rj i'll talk to you soon man okay thanks uh rj for catching up with uh chris pandolfi thanks to to Chris for joining us. It's always a thrill to have him on the show and giving uh, us his uh, impression of the fish shows that he sees. So um, diving into it, uh, Jonathan, maybe you can just take us through the first set and uh, what that felt like uh, to you in the room last night. Well, um, I, I think I mentioned everybody was pretty primed and jazzed before it started. So the speculation was running rampant. Uh, I don't think anybody predicted dogs stole things, so but that was that was cool kind of kickoff, and then rift, which some of us had been pulling for, and that was that was great. Ha ha ha! Started a little shaky, but always cool to see, and they pulled it together for the second half. That and uh, camel walks. Everybody's very excited for that. And it's always fun to see. Crazy sometimes turns turning into a pretty good song. So I really look forward to seeing that develop the coming, uh, you know, of Dicks in, in the future. Saw again, another one that we had predicted. Now, of course, some of our my friends have been pulling for a really big version of Saw again, but I'll take any version because they're all heavy and cool. And uh, that goes for Sanity as well. I'll take any version of Sanity I can get. Downson was fun. And then we get most events are planned. And I am... Honestly, when I, I pulled up the timings this morning, I didn't look at all last night. I pulled up the timings this morning. I was stunned to see that it was only 11 and a half minutes because I could live in that jam for a long time. And then uh, Bug followed, and I thought Bug, I thought Bug was great, well-placed. Uh, I always like Bug anyways. I've been around, which is hilarious. Any excuse for goofy banter. And then uh, Trey put down his guitar, I picked up a different guitar. I'm pretty sure Mike switched bases. They played Isabella. And people freaked out. I'm sure the Twitter exploded. But uh, people in the room were quite justifiably freaked out. And it was pretty awesome. So let me ask you a question. Did, did people realize what it was right away? Because I think what I caught was that Trey played like a, um, a very Hendrix-esque lick at the beginning of it um that was you know something that he would have played at the beginning of isabella um 
but not something that Trey has done in the past. Like usually he's gone straight into the kind of the main riff of the song. And it seemed from the couch, like um, people didn't quite know what it was until they really got into it. Was I reading that correctly? Uh, I think that's probably true for a fair number of the audience. I mean, the guy sitting right in front of me turned around uh, during set break and said, what was that last song? So oh, well. some people didn't know. Some, some of us did. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, it's not like they played it lately. Uh, I think that was the first one since July 98. Um, yeah. Please correct me if I'm wrong, yep. but it's something like that. It wasn't, man. Uh, I don't know, Jonathan. I yet. think it was uh, like a 10,000 show gap, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one million. One million. Um, Jonathan, I know you were sitting sort of side side backstage, um, which gave you a good sort of vantage point for the whole show. Um Matt and I obviously had a different vantage point being at home watching on TV, but the the close-ups of of the solos in that song were, I think that's like the best guitar playing I've seen from Trey in years. Like I was I was kind of stunned. I don't know if it was just like practice on that particular song, Matt. If it, I don't know, or, or if he just felt particularly inspired. But man, it was it was pretty incredible. And then toward the end, he said, like signal to Fishman to, 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 to keep it going. Um, it just seemed like he was in a, he was possessed. Yeah. I, I imagine that, you know, the reaction in the room probably fueled that a little bit. I guess the other thing I was going to say that, um, was that it almost seemed like based on that intro that, that happened and the fact that they actually played the song correctly, like the lyrics were correct and did all the verses and stuff, which was not something that back in 97 and 98 happened. Um, <clears throat> was, it seemed pretty obvious to me that, um, pro- they probably went back to you know one of the band of gypsies recordings and actually kind of relearned the song the way that it was laid down by Hendrix, um, and so that was pretty cool as well. It was actually kind of like a, a proper Isabella, um, but yeah, by the end of it, I mean it was you could tell that the band was loving it and the the whole place was going absolutely crazy. Trey Anastasio opened the clinic on the stage, and we all got to attend. That's right, <laughs> badass. <laughs> so um, that's I, right. It, I, I think it's probably very true that they rehearsed it. Probably did go back to some source, you know, look it up instead of winging it. But Trey is very at home with that stuff when he's feeling on. You know, when Trey when he wants to play that kind of music, he can really do it. And yeah, let me so, let me um, ask you let me ask you something real quick about the first set. Um, my reaction last night to the song selection was that it felt very much like a Sunday show uh, in terms of the the songs that were selected. They they have some go-tos that they usually use. Something like um, Saw It Again or Camel Walk that doesn't that maybe only gets pulled out once a tour. Ha ha ha. Those tend to happen on Sunday nights. Um, and so it was interesting. I, I, I'd like to go back and look at the run in totality and see if there's maybe like an overall progression of what it would feel like for a three or four night run, but stretched out over 13 nights. I don't know. Did you guys get that impression or is this just something I've made up in my head? Well, they were definitely down to, you know, a, a final core set of songs. And if you look through the whole set list, there's a fair number of songs that you, you or we probably guessed that they were going to play. Like you enjoy myself, it's simple and uh, love and cup. My wife was like, "When are they? Why haven't they played love and cup yet?" Bug and ripped. And then once we start going a little deeper, songs like dog stole thing, ha ha ha, camel walk, saw it again, vanity. You know, oh, oh, bouncing's in there too somewhere. The first 
Fetch. Those are songs that are rarer, but typically, as you say, get played like once a year or whatever. It was time. You know, after 200 and some number of songs, it was time. Let's play this one. And then it still managed to get a few very unexpected numbers out of the, out of the band to round out the set list. So I think, yeah, it was, it was, it was like at the Uber Sunday show. Yeah. Um, it's, it's Sunday night. It's the end of tour. It's the end of this kind of epic, no repeats run. Yeah. I think your impression is correct. Excellent. All right, so let's get into that second set, which started off with uh, a killer, killer simple, which I think was probably one of the best jams of, of the entire run, right? Well, I was in the bathroom line the whole time. Um, <laughs> not a chance. Um, I did not leave my seat hearing from the moment the lights went down on that one until after the show was over. Um, the uh, simple was outstanding. I mean, we all kind of expected there would be one. I didn't necessarily expect it would be the opener. And so they come out and dive right in. My buddy uh, Dave said to me, man, they did such a good one in Chicago. What are they going to do now? Something else. <laughs> and sure enough, that's what we got. Yeah, so, it's, it, seemed, anyway, it seemed like I, I, an obvious obvious choice, especially for, you know, they always play in New York. Skyscrapers reference t- tends to get people going. And I couldn't tell from the couch, but I, I imagine everybody probably went crazy around that line, right? Of course they did. Uh, but I've, I've only kind of re-listened to it one time, so I can't really break down the individual jam segments. Maybe you guys have had a chance, but I will say that I'm really excited to go back and spend some time with it. Just like I am with all of the of the big jams from this run. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. RJ, do you- <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I it, it felt like Trey was completely um in I guess driving the like he knew where he was going with it after that first what ten or fifteen minutes of them kind of going through a little bit of the spacey improv that we've that we're familiar with. It seemed like he was intentionally taking it to that sort of multiple multiple peaks sort of point, which was fun to watch. And the 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 lights, the Kuroda work was just amazing. Um, and it, yeah, it was it was. It was pretty stunning. I, I saw a lot of people's reactions as like that was hands down the best improv of the, or the best jam of the run, which I think is a little just jumping to conclusions. I think personally, but I think it was one of the best, and it was clearly he was in control. That that was my take from watching it, um, which was just pretty fun to see. I think if you uh, and, and I'm sure if this will be done, go back and look at the all of the big jams with the run. You're gonna probably sort them into a few categories of list peak jam dark jams and whatever and uh, among those this, this will rate highly but among it a little group but I don't think I don't I think they mostly stand well enough alone that you probably shouldn't try too hard to compare them I really like the jam though I like the way it peaked out and uh, and then the strange thing happened so right at the end of the jam I will tell you this where I was sitting we were low uh, behind page and it was, got spacey again, and Paige got up from the keys, went around, and started to play the theremin. And he was playing the theremin for 10 seconds, 50. He just dialed into, like, found a note that was in key with the rest, the rest of the band was doing. And then Trey, possibly not even seeing that he was at the theremin, Trey started strumming Rise Come Together. 
and Paige said, oh, it switched to, turn, to mute the theremin, went back to his keyboards. So I feel like I got a little ripped off on a, a theremin solo, but uh, it was time for another song, apparently. Yeah, I, I, I caught that as well, particularly because I don't believe it was on stage at all for any of the other shows. I think they just got it out for last night. So I was like, oh, here we here we go, finally. And, you know, then, it, like you said, it was about 10 seconds and then it was over. <laughs> so hopefully I, that I wasn't... Say, I will say, uh, you know, to play devil's advocate to my own self, that perhaps that is the intro to Rise Come Together. Or, yeah, but I, I haven't thought I could hear that part again, <laughs> but... Excellent. So on paper, like, I mean, just ignoring the actual music, it almost looks like there was a little bit of kind of a drop in energy um, between sim- the long, simple, and the long, and enjoy- you enjoy myself at the end of the set. Um, I mean, was that... Oh, the was hell that, that. that is, that's not accurate. So, so <laughs> Rise Come Together, Starman, obviously two shorter songs, but two songs that are appropriate for maintaining the, the level of energy, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that works against Rise Come Together at this point is to the audience is not as familiar with it as they will be, but I think the song uh, delivers some energy. I think it was fun. And then Starman is fucking rad. And anybody who has, you know, and I'm not accusing you here, Matt, but anybody who has question or problem with the energy of that song, really, they should keep that opinion to themselves. It might be embarrassing. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's a little harsh, but but I, I, I was very happy to see Starman. And, uh, and then, of course, the long-predicted, long-awaited to enjoy myself, which was great. Um, again, I haven't gone back to it, but notable was that uh, during the bass drum jam, Trey puts down his guitar. It looked like he was going to do the code vocal jam. He realized, no, there's more music. He picks up, I think then he picks up the Isabella guitar, um, because there, he had two on stage, and I don't know which. And somebody said it was the Asadok uh, that he played Isabella with. But he switched guitar, ended up picking up the other guitar, comping along a little bit, and they got that little Isabella jam there before they did the vocal jam. That was pretty rad. Yeah, I, I caught that too. And I think even, um, I would even say more notable than that uh, was the fact that uh, there was a guitar solo in Yem uh, for being way more than there has been in a long time. And this was old school rip roar and machine gun tray um, for you know a good four or five minutes. Um, I was just freaking out on the couch uh, even before the, the, the Isabella teases or anything like that. Um, this is a much longer Yem than, than we typically see uh, over the past couple of years, too. I mean, clocking in close to, to 25 minutes, uh, getting a good four or five minutes longer than, than we typically would, you know? It, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, Trey played the guitars, and I think we all liked it. <laughs> Pardon my reductionist uh, point of view. Um, but, yeah, I think that's spot on, Matt. Yeah. And then I was very happy to get the Loving Cup closer, although... You know, I wasn't doing any math. I was like, wow, this is early. Um, and uh, I was happy and satisfied with what I'd seen. But when I saw the clock, I was like, that seems early. 
It, you know what? It was a little ironic because everybody was predicting a longer show for last night, even if it wasn't a three set that they were right. going to play, going to play like a two hour long second set or something like that. And it actually wound up being, I, I haven't checked every single show, but it might be the shortest show of the entire run. Um, you know, looking at it in iTunes here, you've got two hours and 30 minutes of music, whereas I feel like a lot of them typically close, closer to about, you know, 245, 250. Um, so I don't know if you guys were speculating in the room, but at this point, I think it was just about uh, like 10.55 or so. And I was looking at the clock and saying, wow, they've got 35 minutes. I bet they're going to do something big here in the encore, um, which wound up really just being kind of the, um, the, the, the banner hanging, right? So I think that they were leaving extra time. They weren't really sure how this was going to go. Um, this is obvious relation because, you know, they left the stage. They weren't gone for a particularly long time. The banners hooked up the race just a hair above stage level so we can see that it's about to come happen. And then they, uh, they bring it up front and uh, the band comes on. It's everybody watching you know, them today. You know, they pose, they turn around and pose for those of us in the back, which is pretty cool. They raise the thing all the way up to the ceiling. And they play On the Road Again, which is just a sweet song about, you know, living your life, playing music with people that you love. And, uh, and it, was, it was wonderful. Yeah, I thought that was a nice Great. little... That, it was a nice nod to people that may have been concerned that this is going to be the touring model from now on and like you're always going to have to go see them at the garden or something like that kind of saying like all right we did this now let's get back out on the road and, and tour a little bit right maybe maybe i mean i, I just think you know just a celebration of playing together being together and not just the band but you know the audience too i think they have always acknowledged that we are a part of that situation and i think they were doing so here quite nicely and then they have the rather goofy but charming long boy reprise that was pretty funny um, and then um, hang on really obnoxious okay and then and then they did um, well Paige returned to his, his seat Mike basically did the week of pop intro bass solo that he didn't get to do the other night hearing the mic screw. So it was quick slamming bass solo and then the uh, long predicted tweets were reprised, which was awesome. Yeah, the the encore just watching the um you guys talked about the down the road again and the, the emotion the sort of emotion, but I I was just really struck by the fact that they I think that that was just like them finally maybe realizing what they had accomplished, you know, I mean, they clearly at least what one or two covers per, per show, not to mention all the songs that they've played for the first time in however long, um, not to mention the exhaustion. And the, I mean, they, they've clearly been working hard and I'm sure they were completely exhausted. Um, but I think like that banner thing was probably like the moment where they realized that, wow, this is this, like, we just did something pretty, pretty special. And I think the, the the crowd seemed to have the same reaction, um, which was just it was a really kind of unique moment for a band that's usually very polished and professional and, and doesn't doesn't show a lot of that sort of side of themselves um, that often anyway. Right. I mean, it was a it was the end of a remarkable run. It was a you know a remarkable day for them. The mayor 
proclaimed it's fish day and you know gave the, you know, they got this proclamation from them mayor's office and you know, the, the banner raised me just the best audience in the world people out there everybody I met everybody I ran into was having the greatest time and just so happy to be there uh, I think by and large people were really appreciative of what was happening around us and what we were a part of and yeah I think it, I think it really hit them at that at that moment it's cool to be there for yeah, and they, um, you know, uh, coincidentally, Trey and Paige got a little uh, dust in their eyes around the same time uh, at the start of On the Road Again, which was sweet and I think probably mirroring the emotions of the crowd. But also, I thought it was kind of, I don't know, full circle because the last time we saw those guys cry on stage, it was under much, much less yeah. um, pleasing circumstances. And you know, I was, uh, you know, maybe had a little bit of an allergic reaction to something uh, as I was watching the whole banner thing and everything, <laughs> which by the way, I mean, just the fact that they did the banner, like I was trying not to say anything uh-huh. to jinx it, but I was really hoping that they were going to do that the whole run, but doubting it because, um, I mean, I guess I think Billy Joel has a banner that they update with the number of shows, but like even Elton John doesn't have one in the dead has not had one. Um, so it was really, really awesome that, that, uh, that they did that. And it, I guess, speaks to the relationship that the band has with, uh, with the people at Madison square garden as well. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. Um, I, I would say though, uh, there must've been something in the air at MSG because everybody had really sweaty eyes. Uh, yeah. I think that's what was happening. I think it reached, sweaty. reached all the way down to DC and, and the suburbs where Matt and I were too. It's weird. Um, yeah, air, airborne <laughs> something airborne. Um, mu- musically, sort of ironic that the night thirteen was the only night where they didn't do anything with the donut flavor. I mean, besides one comment, yeah, uh, right? Yes, yes, I think that yes. was a little a little odd, but um, fuck it, it was great. <laughs> it's, it's really funny. It's just like they build up to this. It's just like it's it's kind of typical in a way, right? Like they don't. When you when you think they're gonna do something, they kind of do the opposite. But it's just it's kind of hilarious to think about that. There's twelve shows were like you know somewhat curated at least around this idea, and then the last one they're like, ah, hey, whatever, it's glazed, it's fine. So the only thing I'll say, and this may be a little bit conspiracy theorist, but um, they did have the they had the Jimmy's night, which was when everybody thought they were gonna play Isabella, and they didn't. Um, and they federal donuts had tweeted that day they said always jimmies never sprinkles and um last night the description of the donut said that it had sprinkles so i wonder if there was something there a little bit of misdirection (laughs) that there was actually going to be some jimmies last night uh which which we got but i also think it made sense for them to withhold the, the isabella until the last night since that's probably one bust out that like most people have been really really hoping for so it's pretty cool so, um, Jonathan, any last reactions before we split? And maybe you can give us a point us towards a clip that we can include. Um, I just love fish. I love fish fans. I was happy to meet many people this, this weekend and last weekend. Um, I'm not, uh, I was saying on Twitter this morning, I'm not really good at the meetups and whatnot, but I, I was fortunate enough to meet some really great folks. Those red cap carts are ridiculously loud. Um, and, and I, I think that, uh, you know, the Twitter fish community is really great. It's just an extension of what is just a beautiful fish community. And, you know, this, this run has, I think, enhanced 
that community as well as giving us the opportunity to, you know, look at it and reflect on it. And I think we're all really, really lucky to be here now. I think that's a really good thought. I was I was feeling that as well, um, just in terms of connection to people, and maybe some of it is because we were able to have our live event uh, last week and meet a lot of people. I met a lot of people just throughout the run that I've you know interacted with uh, over the years uh, through through internet channels, and finally got to you know give some real in person hugs and stuff. I know a lot of people were saying the same thing. Um, I even saw you know my my wife has never been that connected to the scene. You know she's connected to our friends that are in the scene. Um, but lets me kind of take care of the rest. And she really seemed like she was getting into it, like, you know, playing the, the sort of guess the, the opener games online and doing some things like that. So I think it really just inspired everybody. And, sh- and like you were saying, showed us what a great thing that we all have going and fueled everybody up to, to, to keep it going, you know? Yeah, man, I think your wife even promised to send me some fish haiku. So uh, remind her of that. And, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm going to do that. Yeah. We'll, we'll get a couple, we'll couple more to, and yes, I, exactly. And I guess before we before we uh, send everyone off with some music, I guess we should say that just programming wise, we're going to dig back into maybe this aspect um, and and others of the Baker's Dozen over the next what week 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 and a half or so. Um, so we'll, there'll be more uh, more conversation about this um, coming coming your way. Yes, yeah, I'm looking forward to that talk. Um, Excellent. Let's, so let's Jonathan, play some music. Yeah. Um, I think that we should go with the like the second second half there. The uh, most events aren't planned. Right after that thing changes nice. gears and goes. Uh, that way, everybody can go listen to the simple all on their own, and they'll be ready for our you know upcoming episode on the uh, on that particular gems. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Jonathan, thanks for joining on your um, commute back home. And uh, RJ, thank you for joining. In case everybody doesn't realize this, when we do this, we're often distributed and heading off in different directions. So good that the three of us were able to to get together to to chat here. Um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will talk to you very soon. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
to let you know about Music on the Mountain, a show that will feature Anders Osborne, Dogs in a Pile, and Saints and Liars. This show will be directly after the Divided Sky Foundation's fun run at 2 p.m. on Saturday, May 18th at the base of Akimo Mountain in Ludlow, Vermont. The show is presented by The Phoenix, a national nonprofit organization offering support to those in recovery and anyone impacted by substance use to celebrate recovery. If you're running in the Divided Sky Foundation's fun run, you'll be automatically registered for the show. It's a family-friendly event, and all proceeds from ticket sales and other donations benefit the Divided Sky Foundation. Visit Music on the Mountain, that's musiconthemtn.com, for more info and to get tickets. That's musiconthemtn.com. Hope you enjoy. Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.